This is Channel AB3, the podcast home of me, Al Bruno III. I'm going to share with you some fiction, some fun, and anything else I can think of. Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the Channel AB3 podcast. I don't know about you, but I think everything is going great so far. But don't worry, I haven't quit my day job. Today's episode is a story that was written by me, and it's called The Fat Guy Gets the Girl. It was adapted by Barnabas Damios and Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. It's a character piece, and it's also a further exploration of this weird mythology that I've been writing about since I was 18 or so. What can I say? I just can't write about vampires and werewolves. Does this light have to be so bright? Yeah, yeah. For the cameras. I get it. No, I don't need a lawyer. I'm just sorry you guys couldn't wait until I got out of the hospital. Where do you want me to start? But you know that already, right? The video record? Okay, okay. My name is Adam H. Dram. I'm 18, almost 19, really. I know I look older. It's the weight. The only good thing about pushing 300 pounds is that I never get carded. I probably shouldn't have mentioned that to policemen. I mean, a policeman and woman. What I mean is a policewoman and a policeman. I mean, police detectives. Sorry. Yeah, Detective Conley. I am ready to go on. I'm just kind of... It's kind of jumbled in my head. But I know what happened. And I'll tell you everything. I don't want there to be any questions or doubts about what happened. So, let's get started. There were six of us. There was me, Kev, and Jenny, Lori, and Mark, and Alice. We were in my Hummer heading out to a camp on Shroon Lake. The Hummer, well, it was my dad's, really. But he let me borrow it. He was just glad to see me out with my friends. What? You are surprised they were my friends? The most popular kids in school and the fat kid don't mix? Is that what you think? Look, for as long as I've been able to put two thoughts together, I've known I was overweight. When the other kids in kindergarten won't play on the seesaws with you, you start to realize a few things. It's just that I decided a long time ago that fat or thin, I wasn't going to be a punchline. Yeah, a punchline. Like every stupid comedy movie, the fat guy never gets the girl. He just gets laughed at. That's not me. No matter what else I am, that will never be me. It's like my dad always told me, that you can get whatever you want in this world. You just have to really want it. And you have to be patient. And dad should know, he is filthy rich after all. Oh, I totally admit, my dad being filthy rich helped open some doors for me. But money can only get you so far. That's not why the cool kids let me be a part of their group. 
I'm sure of that. Anyways, I was driving. We were going to camp out by the shore. A little post-prom celebration. I had us all kited out with a portable gas grill and tents and a portable TV. Yeah, roughing it. We had to make a lot of U-turns to get there. I kept missing the turnoff to the camp. No, I had never been there before and I was kind of mad that Kev was making fun of the music I was listening to. I mean, since when is Liz Fair not relevant? She'll be around for a lot longer than any of these teeny boppers that are on the radio these days. Alice always reminded me of Liz. Maybe that's why I liked her. Yeah, I liked her. And I think she liked me. At least a little. After all, it was pretty much two couples and me and Alice. The numbers seemed to be in my favor. Plus, she was pissed off at her boyfriend, Tom. He was back in rehab again, so she had ended up going to prom with me. Good thing I was planning to go stag anyways. I knew this was it. It was time for me to make my move. I'd been waiting years for a chance like this. She was really going to kick him to the curb this time for good. I was sure of it. I mean, why else would she volunteer for us to use as family's camp? Sheesh, they call it a camp. It was more like an acre or primo lakefront property with a cabin and a boat dock and God knows what else. Yeah, yeah, we were totally trespassing, but we knew no one would catch us. Tom was off getting clean and sober, and his parents weren't using the place because there was some kind of toxic mold in the cabin. I guess they were waiting for some kind of special toxic mold guy to come and clean it out. So we were arguing about Liz Fair, and finally, Alice gets me to go the right way. And we're bouncing up the dirt driveway past Tom's parents' toxic cabin. A little bit later, we were unpacking our gear by the lakeside. Well, I was unpacking. The others were skinny dipping. No, I didn't mind. I wasn't ready to go flapping in the breeze before Alice, just yet. Besides, someone had to set up the grill and the Xbox. Hey, as I was working, I saw quite a lot, and the weekend was just getting started. After they got done swimming, we did the barbecue thing, and everyone had a few beers. I couldn't help but notice that Alice was having more than a few. As the sun went down, I offered to fire up the Xbox but the others were more interested in starting a campfire and mellowing out. They asked me to set up the tent since I was the only one with Boy Scout experience, which isn't really true. I only made it to Weebelos before I got thrown out. I kind of punched out the Scoutmaster. Come on, how many years of being called Piggy can a kid take? Wait, oh yeah, I got the tents out of the Hummer and got to work while the two couples started making out by the firelight. Alice came over to help me. We started talking about finals and stuff. She asked me if I thought I was going to make it through the history final. Sure, I said. Mr. Zick's finals are all multiple choice, and the right answer is always an even number. He's like obsessive compulsive or something. Remember that, and you're sure to get at least a B. Oh, and study the notes on Rome. He's crazy for Rome. Alice shrugged as I handed her one end of the ground sheet for the first tent. We set it down on a relatively even patch of ground. Well, I don't think I was paying as much attention as you. Maybe you should come over Tuesday night and we could go over our notes. Sure, I looked up from securing the ground sheet to the tent pegs and tried to sound calm. I was down on one knee as I worked. I looked like I was ready to ask her to marry me. I liked that. I'm really glad you came. She smiled down at me. 
She had a great smile. I told her, I know it's not fun being the fifth wheel. How many tents are there? Two? She asked while I had her hold the tent pole steady. Yeah, I said while I fastened the tent's skin into place. A boy's tent and a girl's tent. She started laughing then. I tried to laugh along, but then I asked, What? What's so funny? Take a look back there. She pointed to the campfire, to Mark and Lori, Jenny and Kev. Things had gone beyond the cuddling stage, and there was some full-on making out going on. Shirts were getting loosened, and waistbands are getting untucked. Alice said to me, You think they're going to want to sleep, boy, girl? Are we kids in summer camp? The tent drooped as I realized what she meant. I never thought... Well, you wouldn't. She was holding her sides from laughing. What the hell does that mean? I must have sounded pretty pissed because she became sweet again. Well, I mean, you're so nice and innocent. That's one of the things I love about you. Blushing and smiling, I got the tents set up. And Alice and I decided to crash in the Hummer. When I offered to sleep outside, she said I could put my sleeping bag next to hers. I said... You realize this means we'll be sleeping together. <laughs> we had a good laugh at that. With the tents up, we made our way back to the campfire. Kevin and Jenny had wandered off into the woods. Mark and Lori were sharing a beer and stargazing. There was no moon, and somehow the familiar constellations were so bright, they were like fireflies hovering just out of reach. Mark said, We should have brought some fireworks. It's too quiet. I like the quiet. Alice said. I think sometimes we all talk too much. Yeah, I agreed. It's like we just talk to talk. Yep. But we don't really say anything. Yeah, I agreed again. Mark's reply was a long, forced belch. Lori thought it was hilarious. And after that, they staggered off to one of the tents, undressing each other as they went. Well, I said, there's fireworks. Alice smiled at me. And then there are fireworks, she said. Come on, I want to show you something. She took me by the hand and led me into the woods. Not the same part of the woods where I could hear Jenny's voice coming in short gasps. It seemed like there was sex everywhere, and it looked like I was going to get some. I mean, I wasn't too thrilled about the idea of doing outdoors, but God hates a coward, right? Right? Like I said... Alice took me by the hand and led me into the woods, away from the lake, away from the cabin. We had to go up a little hill. It was steep, but I didn't get winded until about halfway to the top. I wasn't about to slow up or let her know, but I did let her get a little bit ahead of me on the hill. But that kind of had rewards of its own. After about ten minutes, it was like the trees parted in front of us, and all of a sudden, there was this clearing. Well, it wasn't like a natural clearing. It was like it was a place where the trees just wouldn't grow. They just stopped. And the trees that bordered the clearing, how do you describe it? Whatever size of the trees that faced the clearing were bare. No branches or leaves. There wasn't even any grass. Just dirt. Maybe it was one of those places where they dumped toxic waste. Maybe it was more of the toxic mold that ruined Tom's parents' cabin. Whatever it was. It wasn't very romantic. Not that it mattered to me, really. I was so wound up. 
There was this big black rock in the middle of the clearing. It looked kind of like a coffin. It was pretty shiny. The starlight almost seemed to ripple across the surface of it like it was water or something. It kind of looked volcanic. But that was crazy, because there's no volcanoes in upstate New York. I asked her, what is this place? It was dark, but I could just catch a smile. She was holding tightly on my hand. Creepy, isn't it? It's something, all right. I turned to face her. I've been rehearsing this kiss in my mind for years. It was now or never. Then she started walking, almost dragging me over to the slab of stone. She touched the black stone the way people touch their grandpa's tombstone. Tom and I found it last summer when we were walking out. No one knows where it came from. Tom's not here, I blurted out. I still don't know what made me say that. She immediately let go of my hand and crossed her arms over her chest. I remember thinking to myself, So this is what it feels like when an opportunity slips away. I try to salvage things. I remember asking her, How do you think it got here? Maybe it fell from space, she guessed, chuckling a bit. <laughs> Maybe it was always here. Maybe this place used to be owned by a crazy rock collector, I added. Yeah. She looked away from me, back towards the camp. I thought then that maybe I was freaking her out because I was standing so close and looking at her so hard. Alice, I think my voice broke a little. Alice, you don't know how much, but I never got to finish that sentence. Alice started and looked over my shoulder. What's that? What's there? When I turned around, I thought I saw something. My first instinct was to get in front of Alice. If a hungry bobcat or bear was going to attack her, it was going to have to gnaw its way past my gut first. I thought to myself that if I never got a chance to tell her how I felt, I could at least show her. What is that? She said again. It's all right, I told her. A tall, dark shape walked out of the woods. At first I thought it was something wrong with this guy's head. And then I realized he was wearing a motorcycle helmet and some kind of overalls. He was wearing a carpenter's tool belt, too. It jingled while he walked. Go back to the camp, I told Alice as quietly and calmly as I could. The cell phone and the keys are in the Hummer's glove box. Then I stepped forward. At the time, I was more excited than scared. After all, I had at least 90 pounds on this guy. It was my chance to prove myself to her, to show the depths of my commitment. When I was close enough to the stranger, I could see his face was covered by one of those BMX-style motocross masks. I remember that I had my arms up in front of me, ready to duke it out. I tried to sound cool, but the first words out of my mouth were, Where's your bike? Then, he hit me. And I went down. One damn hit. And I went down. When I woke up, I didn't know how long I had been out for. But my dreams were terrible and cold. So cold. I didn't think that you could feel things in your dreams. Maybe that's what woke me up. My first real thought when I came to was, It's raining. But rain doesn't feel that warm. And the sounds in the air, what I heard was nothing like sounds a rainstorm makes. 
opened my eyes and thought for a minute that maybe I had just fallen asleep by the campfire. The flickering lights almost fooled me for a sec. Then I heard Kev's dying moan and wet, warm red splashed down over me. My hands were tied with rope. My feet too. I think it was the rope from the tents. There was a whispering sound, like chanting. I even know a word to describe it. It was on the word of a day calendar my nana got me. Sibilant. Yeah, it was sibilant. The light was from a lantern hung from a low tree branch, where we were all tied up at the base of this weird black stone. Jenny, Lori, and Mark were on the ground near me. Lori was crying and screaming, but her mouth was covered up with tape. All our mouths were covered with tape. Duct tape. Did I mention that? I don't know how I forgot. Now, I can go on. I need to. Lori was crying and screaming. Mark and Jenny were dead. Their chests were cut open. Then Kev hit the ground near us. He was the same way. A big, disgusting hole where his heart should have been. I started screaming when I saw that. As much as I could scream with my mouth taped up. I was shouting Alice's name over and over again. I rolled around trying to find her. I knew that if I saw her cut open like that, I would just... I would just lose it. She wasn't there. That gave me a little hope anyway. I thought maybe she had run while I was getting my ass handed to me with one punch. One punch? I still can't believe that it only took one goddamn punch. Then I saw BMX Man himself. He was all covered with blood and carrying this curved-looking knife in one hand. He stepped over me and grabbed Lori. She kicked and struggled. But he just picked her up off her feet and slammed her down hard on the black stone with this kind of clumsy pro-wrestling move. I am sure I heard some of her bones break. Maybe her arms or her ribs or something. Not that it mattered in the end. But when he picked her up, the curved blade thing fell from his hand. He didn't seem to notice. Probably because he had plenty of others. I grasped at it and tried to cut my hands free. Both the handle and the blade were slick and hard to hold. But I managed to get the ropes around my wrists loosened up. I didn't do much good for Lowy, though. BMX man cut her heart out just like all the others. Then he pushed what was left of the ground and headed straight for me. I remember that, with the light from the lantern spilling around him. That BMX man looked like he was kind of smoke. I held up the knife I'd gotten hold of and made a ha kind of sound through the duct tape. That stopped him, at least. BMX man froze in place. He looked like he couldn't believe his eyes. Not that I could see his eyes at all, but the point is that Adam Dram had thrown him a curveball. Yeah, I'd see those flasher flicks from the old days, you know, the 80s. It's always the fat guy that dies like a bitch, usually a virgin. Well, not me, not this fat guy. With my freed hand, I started to pull off the duct tape, and then I saw the black rock. It had changed somehow. The stars and lantern lights were glinting and twisting across its surface, but the reflections were all wrong. They didn't look right. They didn't even look real. I, I wish I could explain it better. 
and the whispering, that sibilant sound, it was everywhere. At first I thought it was BMX Man, but it was like there was a chorus just out of sight. When I tried to remember just what it was they were saying, it just makes me more confused. I think, I think the light on the rock was keeping time with the voices. Does that make any sense? Suddenly, BMX man tried to take a run at me. Maybe he thought I would be easy pickings because my feet were still tied and I was sitting there on the ground. Or maybe it was just the whispering urging him on. Was there whispering? Was there really? I think there was. He tried to kick me in the face, going for my glass jaw again. But I caught him in the calf with the curved knife. The blade hit bone and tore down. When I heard him scream, it was almost disappointing. I thought it would be something like that cry of a monster, but his voice was normal. He was cursing me, calling me fat this and fat that, whatever expletives you can think of, and all the other usual insults. He tried to stab me and managed to cut my arms and hands up pretty good, but I pushed myself to my feet and hopped away from him. Every time I tried to bend down and cut my ankles free, he was there, crawling after me. He had started shouting things at me, not just insults. I remember one word really clearly. It was Anzon. And you know that I have never heard that word before. Wasn't even sure if it was a proper word. But here's the crazy part. It wasn't just his voice that I heard it from. It was like the whispering in the air was saying it too. No, I don't know if there was anyone else in the woods with us, but I don't think we were alone either. I, I don't know. All I was sure of was that I had to get out of there. There was something worse than BMX man there. I could almost feel it pushing down. No, that's not right. Not pushing down. Slipping free? No, maybe it was another word from that calendar. Insinuating. Is that right? Anyway, I tried hopping away and crashed into the tree that was holding the lantern. The glass shattered and fire shot up the side of my leg. I did the drop and roll thing, but remember, this whole place was at the top of a steep slope, so I went tumbling ass over tea kettle down the hill. As I was rolling, I could see flashes of the tree I crashed into. It was starting to burn. I think I saw a BMX man up there, and he might have been on fire too, but the shadows didn't make sense. At least, I couldn't hear the whispering anymore. Real or not, sibilant or not, it stayed with the black stone. When I reached the bottom of the hill, I barely missed smashing my head into the Hummer. It took me a moment to get my feet loose. My body felt bruised everywhere. There was blood in my eyes. I leaned my head against the cool metal of the SUV's bumper. I think I could have fallen asleep right then and there. But I realized, if the Hummer was still there, then Alice might still be in danger. I made myself get back up and start moving. I was pretty proud of the fact that I only threw up a little. I wasn't happy at all that I had the duct tape over my mouth. I don't know what hurt more, tearing out the duct tape or having barf coming out of my nose. That's when I saw the lights inside the cabin were on. And then it all fit together in my head. After all, Alice was a hot blonde. And the one thing that serial killers and rock stars agree on is that hot blondes are at the top of the food chain. I was sure BMX man had left her trussed up in there. Probably a bit of dessert after he had finished whatever the hell he thought he was doing with the rest of us. Well, I knew that BMX man wasn't going anywhere fast. 
So Alice was as good as saved. And I could be the one saving her. I could see the headline in my head already. Fat guy gets the girl. Just this once, the fat guy gets the girl. I found the cabin door unlocked and walked in and looked around. There's plastic all over the cabin walls, probably because of the toxic mold. And there were scented candles, like, everywhere. There was a pile of papers on the table. They were old and wrinkled. They looked like mimeographs. But who uses mimeographs anyways? I, I barely know what they are and only do because I was in the library club. I glanced down at the top page and a familiar word struck me. It was BMX Man's favorite word. Anzon. Of course. Then I realized what these papers were, or what they were supposed to be. The Anima Pilgrimage. You've never heard of it? It's like one of those famous books that never existed. Like the Necronomicon or the Panacotic Manuscripts. How do I know this? Well, I used to be into metal music. You get stuff like that all the time in it. The Anima Pilgrimage was mentioned in the last studio album from the band Relic. That's spelled R-E-L-I-C-K. It was in a bunch of the lyrics all over the linear notes. Yeah, the band where the lead singer legally changed his name to Evil. I guess his wife had him locked up for being crazy or taking too much PCP or something. But the Anima Pilgrimage was supposed to be an anti-Bible related to the seven dark gods that had hidden their souls in the lost and empty places of the earth. Yeah, I know it's BS. Remember how I said it was a fake book? People that believe in stuff like that believe in vampires and leprechauns. But the songs were awesome. They rocked. So there I was, looking at a copy of this book that never existed. I was thinking to myself that BMX Man must have been one of those suckers. He really thought he was calling some kind of demon god down by killing my friends. Then I heard Alice's voice. I couldn't tell you what she said. But I can tell you that she was wearing stiletto heels and the sheerest, pinkest lingerie I had ever seen in my life. And I can also tell you that I was not who she was expecting to see. And then she said, and this part I do remember, she said, Where's Tommy? Tommy, I said. What'd you do with him? She demanded. She actually charged me her heels clacking on the cabin wooden floor. I backed up, knocking the mimeograph pages to the floor. My ass hit the door, pushing it closed. Why are you here? Why are you still alive? I said, I'm here to save you. What did you do to Tommy? Was that Tommy, up on the hill? What did you do? She pushed a knife against my man boobs. I don't know where she got the knife from, but honestly, with that outfit she was wearing, she could have been juggling ferrets, and I wouldn't have noticed. I probably should have lied, but I remember I said to her, I think he's... I don't know. She slashed at me, cutting my face, my body, and my arms. You idiot! You stupid, useless idiot! After putting up with you for months, you can't even die right! I don't understand. I wept. I was sobbing. She cut me again. This world is a shadow, an imperfect reflection, and only people that know that have any value. I... I love you, I said to her. Finally. 
Then she started laughing. Will you love it when I gut you like the fat piggy you are? She raised the knife. But before she could try to hurt me again, I grabbed hold of her wrists. Alice was pretty strong for a cheerleader. I couldn't hold her back, so I did the only thing I could do. I fell on her. Now, I want it on the record here that I didn't want to kill her. I never wanted to kill her. I don't care if she was crazy or evil. I loved her. But when we went down, her arm twisted wrong, and my 300 pounds drove the blade into her belly. It took her a while to die. But I stayed with her right until the end. And when it was over, laid down next to her in a puddle of our blood. And just waited. So I guess that's my story. I mean, you know the rest. I guess I went into shock, and that's what the doctors tell me. Funny thing is, breathing in all the toxic mold did more damage to me than Tommy or Alice. Maybe I would have just stayed there in the cabin and waited to die. But the fire accidentally started. Accidentally started. Let's stress that. The fire brought out the fire department and the police, and they found me. Detective Miles, I don't know. The black stone was there. I saw it. I almost died on it. I don't know where it is now. It's not like someone could have just carried it off, right? Couldn't one of your CSI guys look into this? I mean, everything else checks out. You found Tommy, right? The bodies with no hearts? The weapons? It's not my fault you can't find a bunch of mimeograph papers and a boulder. And I don't much care. My dad is going to have an army of lawyers on this, and I'll never see any jail time. I mean, look at you. You both think I'm crazy right now. What? DNA evidence? You mean the blood on my clothes? Oh. Oh, that. Well, what do you think it means? It's like I said before. You can have anything you want in this world if you want it bad enough. And you're patient. And like I said, just this once, the fat guy got the girl. What was I thinking? You know, my late Uncle Mike once told me that every one of my stories was just an elaborate cry for help. Maybe he was right. I don't know. What do you think? I'd love to hear your feedback on these stories. You can send us an email. You can leave me a voicemail. Whatever your heart desires. And now, here's Miss Sherry with the credits. The Fat Guy Gets the Girl was written by Al Bruno III. It was performed by Barnabas Demius for Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Opening podcast theme was by Josh Bruno. Closing podcast theme was by Nicholas Gasparini. Our unpaid scientific advisor is Adam J. Thaxton. The credits were read by Miss Sherry. Hey, that's me. 
comments, questions, email us at ab3 at channelab3.com or follow us on Twitter at channelab3. Please consider supporting the podcast via recurring donations of either 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99 a month via the link on our Anchor FM site. Reviews really help more people find the show. Please consider giving us one at the podcast service of your choice. Thanks for listening.